0: So in Luke chapter 20 today, as we continue through what uh, Jesus is up to, a few Sundays ago we saw that Jesus went into Jerusalem right on the back of a donkey, and all the people were saying, Hosanna to the King, and Jesus has been teaching in the temple ever since. Every day Jesus is going consistently since his entry into Jerusalem, going to teach in the temple, and the people are flocking to hear him teach. And every day that he does that, the leadership in Israel gets more worried and more angry at him for the things that he says and does. And I want to tell you what the problem with the leadership in Israel is at this time. Their problem is they're cowardly. And I don't say that lightly. As you look through and you see what is driving their behavior, what you will find is that it is fear. What are they afraid of? First, they're afraid of Rome. So one thing they're afraid of is Rome. They're afraid Jesus is going to cause a ruckus. They're afraid that Rome's going to come in. Rome is ruthless. And they're afraid that if uh, things get out of hand, that Rome could destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple, uh, destroy the people. That's not an irrational fear because in A.D. 70, General Titus went through and did exactly that. He knocked down the temple structure uh, they absolutely uh, raised Jerusalem basically to the ground. So one thing that they're afraid of is Rome. Uh, second, they're afraid of Jesus himself. So they're scared of Rome. They're scared of Jesus. They're scared of him because he's, they're afraid that he'll lead the people away from them because he's teaching as one who has authority and not like the scribes. And so they're afraid that, that Jesus is going to pull the people away from them and uh, make them his disciples and they're, so they're afraid of Rome, they're afraid of Jesus, and they're afraid of the people. It says that several times. They're afraid that if they confront Jesus, that the people will turn on them and do something terrible to them, uh, that they'll run them out of town. So. All of the, and there, there's another thing that they're afraid of. They're afraid of losing their prestige. They're afraid, afraid all of this stuff goes back to them losing their prestige. They're afraid they're going to lose the respect that they enjoy. They're afraid they're going to lose uh, all the accolades they get for being the leadership of Israel. They're scared of all these things. And what happens when you're afraid? You can't do what's right openly because you're too scared of the consequence. And so that's why they're acting so duplicitous. That's a big word for me, wasn't it? That's uh, duplicitous, sneaky. This is why they're being sneaky, because they're scared. And they want to pin stuff on Jesus and it not look like their fault. So what are they going to do today? They're going to sneak in some spies and they're going to try to embarrass Jesus or better yet, catch him saying something that's going to get him in trouble with Rome and then Rome can do their dirty work of getting rid of Jesus. Uh, So they're going to try to be clever and make Jesus entrap himself. So let's look at Luke chapter 20. And we're going to see how uh, Jesus is too clever for them, too wise. And we're going to talk about Jesus being questioned. And he's also going to ask a question at the end. It's very important for us. This is one of my favorite retorts Jesus has in all the Bible. Man, this is clever. They watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous so that they could catch him and what he said and then hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. So they questioned him. Teacher, we know that you teach correctly and you don't show partiality but teach truthfully the way of God. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But detecting their craftiness, he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? Caesar's, they said. Well then, he told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. They were not able to catch him in what he said in public. Being amazed at his answer, they became silent. So some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother has a wife and dies childless, his brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife. She died without, he died without children, and also the second and third took her. In the same way, all seven died and left no children. Finally, the woman died too. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For they, all seven, had married her. And Jesus told them, The children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to take part in, the, in that age and in the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die because they are like angels and are children of God since they are children of the resurrection." Moses even indicated in the passage about the burning bush that the dead are raised, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are living to him. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well, and they no longer dared to ask him anything. So then he said to them, How can they say that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself says in the book of Psalms, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? While all the people were listening, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes, who love greetings in the marketplaces, best seats in the synagogues, and places of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and say long prayers just for show. These will receive harsher judgment. So Jesus is doing a little back and forth here with the leadership of Israel who is afraid of him and they're trying to snare him in something that he said. And the first thing they do is they pretend to be righteous and I hate this worse than anything else that they do the pretense of righteousness i despise this so their first ploy that they use to try to trip up jesus is to pretend that they are his friend and are on board with the things that he says uh teacher we know that you speak correctly and and teach correctly and you don't show partiality, but teach truthfully the way of God. They're saying all these flattering words that they do not actually believe because they're just trying to set Jesus up. And they think that the particular question they ask, they're going to get him. Because in their brain, there's only two ways Jesus can answer this. Number one, Oh, I want to give you also a biblical truth that you'll enjoy this morning. This is from the Bible. Everybody hates paying taxes, so just get over it, man. They've been hating it since the first century, and that's how they thought they was going to get Jesus on taxes. They get everybody on taxes, don't they? So they're like, look, here's what we're going to do, guys, in their little pretentious huddle. We're going to ask him if we should pay taxes, okay? Here's what will happen. If he says no, that's sedition. That's rebellion. We will tell the Roman authorities that Jesus of Nazareth is telling the people not to pay taxes. And guys, when they couldn't get Al Capone on racketeering and murder, what did they stick him in jail for? Income tax evasion. Look, government doesn't care that much about what you do till you stop paying taxes. And if Jesus was in that temple riling the people up not to pay taxes, they knew. It was true in the first century. It's true in this one. They were going to come get Jesus. And then... They would take care of the problem for them. So that's one thing. So if Jesus says, no, don't pay taxes, we got him. But if he says, yes, we should pay them. The people hate paying taxes. And they especially hate paying taxes to Caesar. Because Caesar is the oppressor. Caesar is the occupier. And and we're sick of them. And they hate Rome. And they've already uh, tried a rebellion. They're going to try another one. Don't end well. But... If he says they're supposed to pay taxes, he'll lose the crowds and then we'll have him. So yes, we got him. No, we got him. So just go in there and butter him up and ask him if we should pay taxes and make sure some of the emperor's men are around and we'll get them. But Jesus is too smart for these guys. And he says, hey, let me see a denarius, which is a day's wage, basically. A denarius was a day's wage. And He says, whose picture's on this? And they say, that's Caesar's picture. And Jesus says, well, just give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And give to God the things that are God's. And they're like, we did not expect that. We did not expect that answer. So I hate to tell you, but Jesus said you got to pay your taxes. (laughs) Uh, We could get into how... uh, uh, how what the Bible says about our duty to government and all those things it'd be a great lesson but that is even though Jesus says here implicitly that we ought to pay taxes and render taxes to Caesar even bad governments you pay taxes to them Caesar was not nice we got it made compared to Christians under Caesar's rule and they were still paying their taxes that's not the the point Uh, the point is that Jesus is too clever here to fall for their tricks um so unlike these guys, Jesus is not afraid. He's not a coward. And so the, the questions don't bother him. They don't put him on his back foot. He will just say the truth. They, they spoke truthfully about him even though they were trying just to flatter him. There's a secondary point here I want to hit again, and this is something to be aware of. Beware of those who would act like they're righteous, but they're just looking for an opportunity to skewer you with their words. There are people in that day, in this one, if they treated Jesus this way, they will treat you this way. So just be wise with your words. Not everybody who butters you up uh, really uh, thinks you're the toast or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Write that down. That was good. That'll probably be a saying one day. Gosh, I don't don't know where it comes from, y'all. I do not know. That's not in my notes. So they have these guys that are doing the pretense of righteousness, trying to trick Jesus. Jesus answers them very well. We have a responsibility to government. He says, give this stuff to Caesar. Caesar's manufacturing these coins. Give Caesar the coins that he is due. Uh, Paul will say it, render honor to those whom honor is due, obeisance to those whom obeisance is due. And so Jesus says the same thing, and they can't catch him. So he didn't say anything that would make Caesar's men mad, and he didn't say anything that would throw the people off. Maybe a little bit, they're like, oh, man, we got to pay taxes. So they come with a pretense of righteousness, and then they come with a pretense of a question. I also hate this slightly less than the pretense of righteousness, but I still hate it. The Sadducees do not care about Jesus' answer here as much as they care about trying to make him look dumb. They want to score theology points. They just want to score points so that Jesus looks dumb. It says here that they don't believe in the resurrection. Verse 27, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, come up and question him, and they're talking about marriage, but they're trying to make the resurrection look dumb. And again, there are people who still do this sort of thing today. You've heard of gotcha questions, right? Somebody asks you a question, they're not always trying to hear your wisdom, though you have much and your wisdom is deep and overflowing. They're not interested in your answer so much as they are in catching you in something and trying to make you look dumb. They act like they're asking a theological question, but they're just setting him up and they set us up for things that they want to make us sound like. We're saying it's terrible. They're doing this to Jesus. These guys don't even believe in the resurrection. And so they go back to the marriage customs of the Old Testament. If you have a wife and you die without a child, your brother would take her for a wife, and the firstborn child would be reckoned as the older brother's child and have that inheritance. So it would be as if this child belonged to the brother and he would inherit the things of uh, the, the man who died, the father, so that an inheritance and a name would continue in Israel. And they said, look... Let's just say, for example, there were seven brothers, and they all had the same wife, and they all died childless. So in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? Isn't it foolish to believe in the resurrection because now you're going to have seven guys with the same wife. What is Jesus going to do with this? Now, uh, what happens here again is we kind of get caught up in this because it's like the children of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to partake in that uh, age uh, and, and the resurrection, neither give or receive in marriage. It's like, what's heaven going to be like? <laughs> We're not getting married there. What are our relationships like? What is happening there? Well, the good the good news is, I have no idea. Uh, you're going to be like the angels, obviously. I don't even know what that means. That's not the point. Here is what the point is and what, what is being shown from the wisdom of Jesus. Number one, he's not He's not falling for the trap of the other folks, and he's not falling for the trap of the Sadducees. But what he says to them, basically, if you want to boil down, his answer is, you have no idea what heaven is like, do you? You have no idea what you're talking about. They've actually made themselves look dumb on accident. They tried to make Jesus look dumb, but they made themselves look dumb because Jesus knows what heaven's like. He's been there. He made the place. He knows how it runs. He knows how it's going to be in the future. So when they're acting like, ho, 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 isn't this dumb? it's like, you guys don't know what you're talking about. In heaven, they're going to be like the angels and they're children of God because they're children of the resurrection. And God himself said, I am the God to Moses. Hundreds of years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said, he introduces himself, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob God is not the God of the dead, but the living. These guys are still alive. Your translation may say to God or with God. Prepositions are sometimes tricky in Greek. But it means that they're with God. And so they're not dead. They're alive. Why else would he... He didn't say, I used to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they're gone now. He says, I am. And later we see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Moses and Elijah and they're very much not dead Peter freaks out a little bit it's a beautiful spot in the Bible which to be fair I would have too so Jesus lets them know you're not making me look dumb guys you're making yourself look dumb you're going to be like the angels in heaven but all that's irrelevant there's a resurrection and God is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and they're like, ooh, I don't, we don't know how to answer that. And so they shut down. Jesus stops them with his wisdom. Even the scribes admit, you have spoken well, and they no longer dared to ask him anything. There is a resurrection. And now Jesus is going to say, okay, I gave you guys a chance. i let you all ask some questions. Now I'm going to ask a question. In the Psalms, David says, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? Now, these are guys who are supposed to know the Bible. And they would know that this psalm is a messianic psalm. It's a psalm about Messiah. So Jesus is asking them, How can David call his own son Lord? What's the deal with that? Now, why is that a good question? What does that even mean? It doesn't mean anything to us because we got presidents. We don't have lords. We kick those out. America. But in the day, we had kings. And a king is a king until when? He dies. See, y'all didn't know that because you never had no king. But that's what it is. Boy, that was a redneck way to say that. You never had a king. Sorry, wife. Man, my grandma. Maybe she's in the nursery. Anyway. When a, when a king is alive and he has sons, they're princes, right? And they defer to the king. He would never call them Lord because as long as the king's alive, he is the king. And besides, not all his sons get to be kings. Some of them just get other cushy jobs, but they don't get to be the king. Only one of them gets to be the king. That kid don't get to be the king till his dad's dead. So why would the king say to his son, my Lord, what's going on with the Messiah? And their answer is, we don't want to answer that question because this messiah is going to make his enemies his footstool and this messiah we're going to read this psalm here in a minute it's going to be a priest forever after the order of melchizedek and so or you might say melchizedek i don't know which one's right i went to seminary i've heard it both ways so next time somebody calls on you to read in the old testament and melchizedek shows up you can say it either way and tell them your preacher said you could so Jesus is asking them, how can he say, the Lord said to my Lord, who is this guy going to be? And the reason that this made them very, 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 very nervous is because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He had come into the temple... People had said, Hosanna to the son of David. He had been teaching and nobody could catch him in a trap. He had been doing miracles. They knew good and well. Every single person in Jerusalem knew that Jesus had healed the sick. He had cured the blind. He had healed the lame. That everywhere he went, people got well. Everywhere he went, he was preaching the good news of the kingdom. And they even knew that people had died and Jesus had laid hands on them and they had come back from the dead. And here he was every day in the temple and their best and brightest minds trying to catch him. In a trap and instead of trapping him they wind up looking dumb and he winds up looking better they cannot stop his exaltation and so now he says who do you think the messiah is and why does david call him lord and they can't answer his question or they don't answer his question How can he be a son if he calls him Lord? And they sit there in silence. And then Jesus, because he's not scared. See, if the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the ruling party of Israel, had any moral courage at all, and they thought Jesus was a false teacher, they should have denounced him in front of the people, regardless of the consequence. Because they had a duty to protect people from error, did they not? But because they were cowardly, they wouldn't do it. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus is not afraid. And he tells the people in front of these folks, beware of the scribes. Here's what they're doing they just like your praise. They go around in long robes. They love to be greeted in the marketplace. Hello, Rabbi. Hello, scribe. Well, hello. And they love the best seat in the synagogue. Literally, they got to sit closer to the front because of who they were. They got to sit and read from Torah, and everybody thought they were great, and that's what they wanted. They got to sit at the honor place at banquets, but they were devouring widows' houses. And they would pray a long time just for show. So remember that today, when you go eat lunch and somebody says, you want to ask the blessing, you know, just bless the food, keep it short and sweet. People's hungry. Don't show, it's not time to show off. Do your quiet time in the morning, Now, right before we eat. But pray sincerely, not just so people can hear big words. He said, these guys are going to receive a harsher judgment. They didn't like that at all. So the more they tried to make Jesus look like less, the more exalted he became. And they were part of the prophecy that Jesus was going to put them under his feet if they didn't join him. Here is what the psalm actually says. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer for you on your day of battle. In holy splendor from the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek, The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush the leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook by the road. Therefore, God will raise up his head. What is he saying in this poem that he quotes? See, these guys would know from the psalm. They wouldn't have just known that line because these were educated men. They could look it up. I looked it up. They could look it up. That this king who he says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It means that this son that's coming is no ordinary son. He's not an ordinary prince. He is someone who David would defer to as Lord. And the Lord God Almighty speaks to David's Lord and says, I am going to make your enemies your footstool. And all the surrounding nations and all the people will bow to you. And these guys are not ignorant. Ignorant. And they would know from the book of Genesis that a promise was made to Judah. Genesis chapter 40, when Jacob is dying, he blesses his sons, all 12. And he says to Judah, from you, Judah will come one to whom the scepter belongs, and to him will be the obedience of all the peoples, all the nations. So when Jesus says to them, who is this guy? to whom will belong the obedience of all the nations? Who is this guy to whom David would say, the Lord said to my Lord, "Sit uh, sit at my right hand, the right hand of the throne of majesty, until I make all your enemies your footstool? Who do you think that guy is? What does it mean for him to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek? This is also in the Psalms, as they would well know. I'll tell you who this guy is. Abraham forefather of all these things, through whom God made this promise that he would have sons and daughters of which you are one, if you believe in Jesus, who are more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sands on the sea, was visited by a man named Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness. And Melchizedek lived in Jerusalem or Salem, and he was both king and priest. And it says he has no beginning or end in the Psalms. So who is this guy? it's been interpreted by them even in this day as a messianic prefig- prefiguration of the Christ. Cross Crossed means Messiah. So there's Abraham, Father Abraham, many sons. Here comes the king of Salem named Melchizedek, and Abraham tithes to him a tenth of all that he has. Who is this guy? And uh, the new Messiah is not going to be a priest after the order of Aaron but after the order of Melchizedek. Why? The sons of Aaron all die. One dies, you have to have another priest. Another dies, you're going to have to have another priest. But this priest is never going to die, so we will never have another high priest. This Messiah is not only going to be the son of David to whom the obedience of the nations belong, but he's also going to be a priest. He's going to be both priest and king. Those things are separated Under the Davidic dynasty, right? You had kings, you have the order of Aaron that took care of the temple, but inside the order of Melchizedek, of which there is only one, and that is Jesus Messiah, he is gonna be both priest and king. And so Jesus is asking these guys, who do you think Messiah is? Think about the things which they had seen and heard. They had heard Jesus teach, they had seen with their own eyes miracles that they could not deny. They could not deny them. It wasn't like today where all we always see these sketchy miracles that somebody somewhere had an aunt's brother sister, cousin that was out in Africa somewhere and this guy got healed. I'm talking about these guys were walking around in downtown Jerusalem with thousands of people standing around Jesus of Nazareth there's a whole funeral coming through town one day and this woman is wailing because she's a widow and her only son's dead and he walks up to the funeral procession and says stop weeping boy wake up and the kid comes to life there is no denying that kind of thing folks they knew what he had done. Nicodemus has already come to him at night and said, Teacher, we know that people could not do the things that you have done unless the Lord was with him. These guys knew, and he says, Who do you think you're talking to? He is the one to whom the obedience of the nations will belong. He is the one to whom who will sit down at the right hand of majesty. He is king and priest. He is savior and he is lord. That's who he is, and he's in his city, in his temple, teaching his truth to stubborn people who will not listen because they're too afraid of everything except the right thing, and that's Jesus. And so he tells them, your problem is pride. Your problem is that you love the accolades of people so much that when your king is here before your face, the one whom Abraham saw and rejoiced, the one, the hope of Isaac, the promise of Jacob, the son of Judah, you will not confess him as Lord. And so you will become those like in that day who will be crushed by the king, who will be judged like those nations who will not give over to Jesus. And he will just take his time. Drink by the brook on the road and his head will be lifted up. Here comes the king in no hurry. This morning, as you think about the things that Jesus does, I hope that you will be astounded at who this man is. He is the king. He is a priest forever. What did the priest do? Made intercession before God and man. There was a time in Israel's history when they were going on the exodus and they had misbehaved to say the least they kept misbehaving over and over again and God sent a plague at one time and it was sweeping through uh, Israel as they were there in the wilderness and people were dropping dead like flies and Moses said Aaron fill up the incense censure and run through the camp and get to the Ark of the Covenant and make sacrifice for the people that perhaps God's wrath will be relented from. And Moses, I'm sorry, Aaron took off. And he did that and the plague was stopped and God had mercy on his people. And Jesus is the greater Aaron. He is the Melchizedek who makes intercession for us. Even today, he intercedes on your behalf and mine. That's who he is. They wouldn't have him as king. It's so foolish. They would rather hold to empty titles and fancy clothes than to have Jesus. It would be better to face Caesar in all of his wrath than to deny, deny Jesus in all of his glory. What a mistake. And the same thing is presented to us today and to our world. Who do you think Jesus of Nazareth is. Who do you think we're talking about this morning? Who is this person we're dealing with? He is not only priest. He is also king. And he's not only priest and king. He is also the prophet. He is the one who Moses said, Someday God will raise up another prophet like me. You must listen to him. And this is Jesus. What does a prophet do? A priest intercedes. A prophet speaks words from God. And that's what he's doing. Prophet, priest, and king. Rejected by his own people, we'll see. Crucified because they couldn't stand him and didn't want him as king, but made chief cornerstone by the Almighty and raised up on the third day that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. This is the king we serve. This is the Christ we love. And if you think this morning you are alone and powerless and helpless, this king who sits at the right hand of glory and the majesty of God, is on your side and loves you. And every single bit of the power of the Almighty God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your enemies cannot harm you. Nothing can happen to you that is not under the gentle will of this king. He's for you. If you'll have him, who could not take such an offer? I have known Jesus now for a long time. I can't even do the math. I told somebody today I was a English Lit Major. And that was true. I was twenty-one years old when I met Jesus. So that's twenty-eight years ago. And he's more amazing and wonderful to me today. Than ever is the King. And He loves you. And even as I say it, I know it's true. Come to Christ. Come out from these guys. Don't be in the group with these folks. These people who have the pretense of righteousness, these folks who ask questions just to entrap. Come to the King. Be like those who embrace his majesty and glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to be moved by the majesty of Christ. That even now, Father, you are moving heaven and earth to be obedient to Christ. And that one day you will make every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, whether on earth or heaven or under the earth. Every being, everything, all creation will cry out that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory, Father. And we celebrate his kingdom and we celebrate his kingship and we wish for him to rule over us and to come quickly. Lord, we pray for those who do not know Jesus today. God, have mercy on them. Have mercy, Lord. Show them your splendor. Let them come out from their rebellion, the pretense of righteousness, and embrace true righteousness and humility in Christ. Let them be clothed not with their own foul deeds, but with the robe of righteousness that comes from Christ. Let them be covered in his righteousness and not their own. Bring them out from death to life. God, have mercy Lord, this morning be with us as we sing. Lord, be with us as we worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.